Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Advent, we're going to be doing a series called A Light in the Darkness. The goal of this series is to explore how God makes the divine known to us in ways that we can observe and experience in the world. We'll be going along with the themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. I hope you enjoy and have a wonderful Advent. And now the reading from Isaiah 57, 18 to 21. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will lead them and repay them with comfort, creating for their mourners the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea that cannot keep still. Its waters toss up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. How is everybody this morning? Doing well? Did you recover from all your Christmas parties? Parties? Or have you not been to them yet? (laughs) We had ours, the staff party, this weekend. It was very good. A little recovery, but it's good. We're good to be here. So Luke 1, 67 to 79, this is known as the prophecy of Zechariah. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. So we are doing a sermon series during Advent called A Light in the Darkness. And this series, each sermon that you're going to hear is based around the themes associated with our Advent candles. So the idea behind this series, or the focus of this series, is to be able to talk about the ways in which we see God's presence manifest in the world, in ways that we can observe and experience. And so last week we talked about, what what did we talk about? Hope. And this week we're going to be talking about peace. Now, before we jump into this, what I want to do is I want to show you uh, a poem. It's a, it's a spoken poem by a man named Padraig Otuma. Now, this is a guy over in Ireland, and he works on the relationships between Protestants and Catholics, which, if you know anything about Ireland, that's a little bit of a frayed relationship over there. So he works to bring those people together. And this poem that we're going to hear him speak is called Oremus, which means, let us pray in Latin. So let's listen to what he has to say. Prayer, like poetry, like breath, 
like our own names, has a fundamental rhythm in our bodies. It changes, it adapts, it varies from the canon, it sings, it swears, it is syncopated by the rhythm underneath the rhythm, the love underneath the love, the rhyme underneath the rhyme, the name underneath the name, the welcome underneath the welcome, the prayer beneath the prayer. So let us pick up the stones over which we stumble, friends, and build altars. Let us listen to the sound of breath in our bodies. Let us listen to the sounds of our own voices, of our own names, of our own fears. Let us name the harsh light and soft darkness that surround us. Let's claw ourselves out from the graves we've dug. Let's lick the earth from our fingers. Let us look up and out and around. The world is big and wide and wild and wonderful and wicked, and our lives are murky, magnificent, malleable and full of meaning. Oremus, let us pray. We're going to come back to that a little bit later on uh, in the sermon. For now, I want to turn to our theme for the day, which is peace. And in order to do this, I want to define the word peace. This is very similar to what we did last week. You may remember that I tried to define the word hope for us. And the reason why we're going to do this actually with a lot of these sermons, because we're talking about hope, peace, joy, love. These are words we use all the time. And of course, we don't often think about what exactly do they mean. And so I want to get into the definition because that's going to help us kind of pick all of this apart. So the definition of peace, at least the one that we have in the dictionary, is freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility. On the surface, sounds pretty good, right? I mean, generally speaking, would we agree with that? Like, when you think of a peaceful home, for example, wouldn't you think of a home that is quiet and free from disturbance that leaves you with a feeling of tranquility? Sign me up for that. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'd be down for that. <laughs> so, the issue with this definition, though, at least from my perspective, is that this is only talking about the effects of peace. What happens when you walk into a peaceful environment? And the reason why we think about peace in terms of its effects is because peace is so connected with its opposite. So, the opposites of peace are disagreement discord, agitation, fighting, even hatred. And so I think we assume that if we can remove those things from our lives, that we will have found peace. But that's not necessarily true, is it? You can remove all those negatives from your life and still not have achieved peace. So what this tells us is that peace is something much deeper than just its effects. And so the question that we are going to attempt to answer today is how do we achieve peace in our lives? That's the question we're going to try to answer. How do we achieve peace in our lives? And to talk about this, I want to turn towards that prophecy that we read from Zechariah. Now, I know in reading that prophecy in Luke that it might sound like it's a lot of stuff that's strung together that you may not really resonate with. So what he's talking about very, very important here is that he's, it's a looking into the future and he's talking about the coming of the Messiah, right? Now, when I say that, I want to put some context around it because just saying that, I know that for some of you that doesn't mean anything. So 
In order to understand what we're talking about here, we need to understand what the Jewish people were looking for with the coming of the Messiah. So what does that word Messiah mean? We've talked about it. Does anybody remember? means anointed one, anointed one. And so this concept, the reason why it's called anointed one in Hebrew is because there was an ancient custom in the Middle East that when you were a king and you were coming to power, they would pour oil on your head during the coronation ceremony. So they would take this oil, they pour it on your head, and what that would mean is that you had come to power. Now you could take over, you could rule your nation. So that's where it comes from. That's the terminology. So the Jews of Jesus' day, they were anticipating that God was going to send them a Messiah, a king who was going to bring peace to their lives. Now, the question you should automatically be asking is, why do they need a king to bring them peace? And what you have to appreciate is that at this point in time, the Jews, they did not have an independent nation. They're not like us. They weren't autonomous, like, you know, United States of America, we're on our own. They were ruled by someone else. They were ruled by the Roman Empire at this point in time. Now, I've explained to you in the past, and it's very important for you to appreciate, that the world in which Jesus lived was brutal. I mean, it was really, really rough. There was a lot of violence. And the reason why there was so much violence is because the Roman Empire, they enforced their laws with impunity. So if you got caught breaking the law, if somebody caught you breaking it, then what would happen is usually you would have to deal with violence from a soldier or an official who came at you. And so what they were hoping for is they were hoping that God would send them a king, right, a man who was going to rise up from their people, help them create a completely separate nation, and then that king would treat them with decency and kindness, right? It's what we all want, right? We all want to be ruled by somebody who's going to treat us with decency, kindness, the way that we want to be treated. And so this is what they were hoping for. It's what they were looking for. And so this is much of what the prophecy of Zechariah is talking about. It's talking about a king who's going to free the Jewish people, and everyone else for that matter, from the violence of the world. And this is the key right here. The Messiah was supposed to bring peace to the earth. The Messiah is supposed to bring peace to the earth. So the Messiah is supposed to remove hatred, strife, violence, war, all those things. Supposed to get rid of all of that and transform the world into the opposite of what it is right now. So when we talk about Jesus and his coming into the world as the Messiah, this is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to bring peace to the earth. You with me so far? Okay. <clears throat> but as much as Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the peace that is spoken of in Zechariah's prophecy, it's still pretty elusive. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when you take a look at the scope of human history since Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. And if we look at the scale between peace, all-out peace, right, and all-out war, if you look at the last 2,000 years, would you agree with me that humans have tipped the scale a little bit in favor of war? I mean, would you, would you agree with that? I mean, particularly in the last 100 years. I mean, come on. We haven't been doing a great job of this. And so the question that automatically comes to my mind is why? Why? Why is it that we as humans, why do we choose fighting over peace? Right? Why do we do that? Now, I remember when I was a kid, I was growing up, and I went to elementary school, and 
I remember my teachers sitting there and telling me in elementary school that peace was a universal human desire, that every single person in the world desires peace in their life. Now, this is what I was told. But the older I've become, the more I've come to believe that that's a patent lie. And the reason I say that to you is because the older I get, the more I've encountered people who want nothing to do with peace, nothing to do with it whatsoever. That, in fact, there are a whole swaths of the population that thrive on chaos, violence, and destruction. It's like what we read in that Isaiah passage. There is no peace for the wicked. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people who don't want peace. I mean, clearly, probably everybody in here does, right? But there are people who don't. And the question I've asked myself for a long time is why? Like, why is it that certain people don't want that in their lives? And what I've come to realize is that chaos, violence, destruction, these are all forms of power, right? So if you can't get what you want, then using violence is a great way, it's a tool to bend people to your will to get the things that you want when you can't get it. And so if you've been born in a place where you don't have resources, where you, don't, where you weren't born into a family, you weren't born into a country where you can get that, you're going to use the tools that are at your, at, at your hands, right, to be able to do it. Now, I will tell you that I see this basic concept at play all the time within my family. I'm just going to tell you that right now, okay? All the time in my family. So my boys, so I have a, I have a younger son, Lucas. He is always trying to keep up with his older brother, Elijah. But Elijah's eight, and Lucas is five. And so in terms of what they know, like there's a massive distance between those two things. And so Elijah uses his knowledge to his advantage all the time. And so when Lucas, when he feels that he's been subject to an injustice, which happens all the time, mind you, <laughs> he will use the one tool that is at his disposal. He will fight back. And he hits hard, too. I'll tell you that much. For five, he's got a pretty strong fist. Now, I try to explain to him and tell him, you know, violence isn't the way to get what you want. I say, you need to use your words. You need to express your needs and your desires. But when he becomes too frustrated, when he feels like he can't get it out, violence is a much quicker solution. And so what I've learned from my two sons, like watching them, is that one of the big reasons why peace is so elusive is because humans are horrible communicators. I mean, we are. Our natural inclination is to take rather than talk, okay? Our natural inclination is to take rather than talk. Taking is instinctual. It's something that you're born with, right? And you have to learn how to suppress that urge over time. You need to use it sparingly, otherwise you're taking your whole life. Talking, on the other hand, is a learned skill, and I don't mean the gift of gab. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being an effective communicator. That is not something you are born with. That is something that is learned over a long period of time of working towards it. So when I look at the dynamic between my two sons, and these are just two human beings, and you think about transposing that onto the larger global world stage where you have billions of people, a large percentage of whom have trouble effectively communicating their needs to others, I think you can very quickly understand why peace is so elusive for human beings. So this raises another question for me. And this question is, 
if humans, generally speaking, are not very good at creating peace on their own, which, can we agree that's probably true? And Jesus is the one who's supposed to bring peace to us. How exactly does that happen? Because, I mean, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, yes? Okay, we believe he's supposed to bring peace to the earth, yes? Okay, 2,000 years, he was here, we're 2,000 years later, still very much in the middle of fighting, are we not? So, the question is, how does this happen? And the more that I have studied Christianity, the more that I've gotten into it, I've come to realize that if we want peace on the earth, first and foremost, we have to create peace within ourselves. So, the way that Jesus helps us to create peace in the world is by creating peace within our own souls. But you have to be open to a spiritual transformation if that's going to happen. And so this is like so important right here. I need you to hear this. This is like the most important aspect of this sermon right here, which is that contrary to what most people believe, peace is a fundamentally spiritual disposition. Peace is a fundamentally spiritual disposition, meaning you cannot manipulate the external environment around you to create peace, which is how we try to do it, right? So what do we do? When, there's, when we are not in a peaceful world, we say, okay, we need to get rid of all the disturbances, so we're going to move this out of the way, we're going to move that out of the way, we'll put this person in prison, right? We get rid of all this stuff, and we try to create a quiet world. Now, don't get me wrong, creating a quiet, peaceful world around you, that can help you to have peace inside of your soul, no doubt about it, but... That's not necessarily going to produce it. In order for that to happen, you have to go through a spiritual transformation, my friends. You have to be open to that. And this is where Jesus can really make a difference in our lives. And to explain to you how Jesus can make a difference, I want to go back to this poem that we heard earlier from Padre Agotuma. Oremus, let us pray. So I will tell you that I heard this poem, I was driving in the car, and he was on the radio, and he was speaking this poem, and it just floored me when I heard him say it on the radio. It, like, it like hit me so hard, because to me, I've always been trying to find a way to articulate what I think about prayer, and he just nailed it for me. Because the thing is, for Christians in particular, I think we tend to believe that prayer is a very specific formulation, right? And I see this all the time. I see it when, you know, people come to pastors and they're like, well, I need you to pray for me, right? Because, you know, you have this closer connection to God and you can make it happen. It's like, no. Like, if, they're like, if you don't pray in this specific place, at this specific time, with these specific words, God's like, ah, I wish I could help you out. But can't do anything about that, right? No. Prayer is a conversation with God. And there's no one right way to have that conversation. It's like Padraig says... In his poem, I love it when he says it. He's like, prayer changes. It adapts. It varies from the canon. It sings. It even swears. Did you notice when he said that? I've actually spoken to people in this congregation who have come up to me, and they're like, so I was praying, and I kind of swore at God. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> Am I going to go to hell? <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, because you're having a conversation, and if that's what you feel, that's what you feel. God can handle it, I think, right? You know, I'm pretty sure. It's possible. So this is the thing. When we think of prayer, you usually think of it in terms of what? You have to speak it. It's words, right? But that's not what prayer necessarily is. Prayer comes from someplace deep inside of our hearts. Deep inside of our hearts. So 
prayer, it can be feelings, emotions, feelings of joy, right? Pain, sorrow, these things that you feel, these can be prayers to God. You may not think of it that way, but it can be. Prayers can be images in your mind, strings of thoughts with no discernible pattern to them. When I pray for people in war-torn areas of the world, I will often have these montage of images going through my mind of things I've seen in the news, people, men, women, children. Like we watched last week the White Helmets, right? Like I think about that all the time, those guys, what they're going through. I pray for them that way. Indeed, I often think of prayer as whispers of thought. That's, that's kind of how I think of it, is whispers of thought. And these whispers of thought, they have transformed my heart over the years. I mean, the truth is, is that it's molded me into a completely different person than I used to be. These conversations with God, I've been having them over the years, and they've brought me this peace in my heart that didn't used to exist. And I want to explain to you what I mean by that, because just saying that isn't as, as impactful as understanding what it's done for me. So, I used to spend a lot of time thinking about the past. In particular, I used to spend a lot of time thinking about people who had hurt me. And so, what I would do is I'd be in this kind of infinite loop in my mind, where I'd start thinking about somebody who had hurt me, something that they had done to me, something that somebody had said to me, and then I would think about the things that I said, or what I would have liked to have said to them, or the things that I didn't do, or the things that I didn't. i just start running through all of these things, and I would just get deeper and deeper into this hole of negativity and anger and frustration. But then, I started doing what Padraig talks about in his poem. I started taking these stones over which I stumble. So, what are the stones? The stones are these negative thoughts, these, these negative interactions, and I started using them for something better than they were intended. So what I started doing a little bit later on in my life as I was praying more is that as opposed to getting angry or mad, the thought would come into my mind, I'd think about the incident, something that had happened, and then I realized, no, don't get angry or mad or upset, and I started praying for them. And I don't mean this in, like, a negative way. Like, I, like, like God, please kill them. Like, stuff like that. Like, no, I didn't do that. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about, I prayed for the best for them. That they would find, you know, love and happiness and fulfillment and joy in their life. And that if they were still doing the same things to others that they had done to me, that they would get the help so that they wouldn't do that anymore. And so, very much, I was taking the stones over which I stumbled, these stones that were causing me to fall, and I built altars around which I could pray. And over time, as I prayed and I kept doing this, it truly changed my heart. It transformed it. I found a peace that was very elusive for me. And you know how he talks about, I mean, this is why this is so evocative for me. You know how he talked about digging a grave? Like, he's like, we have to dig ourselves out from these graves we've dug. I totally feel that because I was digging this grave for myself with all of these things in my head. And then eventually, I was able to claw myself out because I realized that in spite of everything that I'd been through, all the difficulty, all the hardship, all the challenge, that in fact, there was a lot of joy and a lot of love to be had in the world and that I wanted to 
have that, that I had a choice, in fact, that I didn't have to allow all of these negative experiences that I've been through to dictate my present, and that I could let go of these past grievances, and that I could become somebody new and different. And I have. I will tell you right now, I could not be doing this job if I had not gone through this transformation. Because what many of you may not realize is that as a pastor, you get criticized all the time. And Judy, she's been at 32 years. She will tell you, you are a lightning rod for criticism. And the reason why is because you're a public figure. You're standing up every single week and you're speaking your truth into the world, you're speaking your beliefs, and your right as the congregation is to judge that. You can criticize that if you want to, but if you don't have thick skin, it can be really hard. If I was still in the place that I used to be, and I was trying to do this, I would just crumple. There's no way that I could handle it. No way that I could deal with it. Like, to give you a sense of where I am now versus where I used to be, when I was younger when I was still going through all that stuff and I was thinking about all those hurts and all the things that had happened to me, it was hard for me to understand how somebody could not be violent. It was hard for me to understand that because the way I grew up through my childhood and my teenage years, what I was taught was that the strongest, most powerful person always wins. And so when I was thinking about these people who had hurt me, I wasn't just thinking about you know, oh, what I would have said. I was thinking about hurting them, and I'm not just talking with my words. I'm talking physically hurting them. And this is a big reason why I didn't like Christianity early on, is because Christianity is talking about peace and love and pacifism and nonviolence and all these types of things. And to me, I was like, no, you have to be able to fight back. You have to be able to fight back against these people who have hurt you so badly, because otherwise they just have free reign. But the more I studied Christianity, and the more I kind of got into it, the more I prayed, the more it transformed my heart. And I came to realize how peace is actually possible in this world. Because once you find peace in your heart, and I mean true peace in your heart, you come to start to catch this glimpse of the vision of how Jesus truly could transform the world. Because what happens is, you start to see the world through Jesus' eyes, which means that you start to see the world through love and forgiveness rather than hate and retribution, which is the way that I used to think. And then you come to realize that if we could just let go of these past grievances, these things that just weigh us down all the time, if we could just let go of them, then the world could be completely transformed. And that's why we read this prophecy from Zechariah this morning. Because I don't think that that's pie-in-the-sky thinking. I think that is actually possible. It could happen. The peace that he talks about could be a reality. But the truth is, in order for there to be peace, it all begins with prayer. And it begins with every single one of us in here taking the time to change our own hearts so that we can find peace within ourselves because that's the only way it's going to happen. And so I want to end this morning with the same words from Padraig Atuma. We're going to watch the poem again, Aramis. But this time, it's going to be a little bit different. This time, you're going to watch a film that I put together a few months ago. And I hope that this film will bring to life these words in a different way. You saw it for the first time, right? You just heard the words and they just hit you. I hope that this film will bring it to life. And I also hope that it'll stay with you and it'll give you some peace in your own lives
so that maybe you might believe that peace is truly possible on earth. Amen. Prayer, like poetry, like breath, like our own names, has a fundamental rhythm in our bodies. It changes, it adapts, it varies from the canon, it sings, it swears, it is syncopated by the rhythm underneath the rhythm, the love underneath the love, the rhyme underneath the rhyme, the name underneath the name, the welcome underneath the welcome, the prayer beneath the prayer. So let us pick up the stones over which we stumble, friends, and build altars. Let us listen to the sound of breath in our bodies. Let us listen to the sounds of our own voices, of our own names, of our own fears. Let us name the harsh light and soft darkness that surround us. Let's claw ourselves out from the graves we've dug. Let's lick the earth from our fingers. Let us look up and out and around. The world is big and wide and wild and wonderful and wicked and our lives are murky, magnificent, malleable and full of meaning. Oremus, let us pray. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.